I invite you to kneel with me. Let's come together before the Lord and and seek His presence here. Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy holy name. Father, we, we love You with all our hearts. We thank You so much for Your wonderful blessings. We praise Your name for providing us a Sabbath day that we can rest and from our, our employment, our temporal uh, battles, that we can have a spiritual rest in Thee and gain a taste of heaven. We thank You so much for providing for all our needs. Uh, our temporal needs, our our homes and our places that, that we live and uh, the food and and that you take care of us. And we thank you, Lord, even for some of the difficult times that teach us uh, patience and uh, uh, to be more kind and, and courteous and, and giving to others. And Lord, we pray uh, that uh, this Holy Sabbath day will be a blessing to each and every one of us as you promised and and that uh, we may truly be refreshed for the coming week ahead. Father, we lift up before you uh, many, many prayer requests. We have our prayer lists. Every one of us has an individual list, and we have a church list. We pray that you be very near uh, to those on our lists, Lord, and answer each and every prayer. Our uh, good and dear sister Jeanette up in Battle Creek, she has a friend uh, who has a son. His name is Ted. Ted Bristol, and he has open heart surgery on uh, the 20th. That's very soon here. I think that's uh, uh, Tuesday, I think, Lord. And we pray that you will be very, very near the family, that you will be with the surgeons and the nurses and all involved. Uh, This is a very serious uh, procedure whenever uh, the heart is, uh, is dealt with. We pray, Lord, for success. We pray that uh, he will be touched and healed of whatever it is that uh, is causing his heart problems and that he will uh, praise your name because of it. Uh, Susan's mother is having a surgery on um, Monday for her gallbladder. We pray that you will, again, be very near to her and uh, that uh, you will... Uh, bring peace to her heart and draw her uh, closer to Thee. She has some spiritual issues, and we pray that, uh, Lord, You will be able to touch her heart and mind, that uh, she can give herself completely uh, to You. And uh, we continue to ask for uh, healing for Andrea from her injuries. Her chin is bothering her a, a bit today, and we pray that You will take that pain away. And, uh, Lord, we also pray that you will help us to uh, uh, come up with the uh, financial uh, funds, the funds to pay these uh, bills that uh, will take care of uh, of her. Uh, and, Lord, um, we want to praise you for this wonderful day and that you are our Father and that this is your world. We pray, Lord, that what we do may show to everyone else in this world that that is our belief, that we are your children. You know, uh, answered prayer means a lot to us in doing that and being a testimony to others. So as 
Deb is working on health reform. Help her, Lord, to overcome these habits and be healthier. Uh, Answer Ty's silent prayer request so that we can have a testimony to our friends and loved ones and neighbors that you are the God, that you are a God that listens to his people and that you have compassion. We thank you so much, Lord, for Jesus, the ultimate in compassion towards us. And I pray, Lord, that the message this morning will be your words and that they these words will draw people to Jesus, that they may see that wonderful love at the cross and their hearts will melt and that they will give themselves to Jesus anew or for the first time. Lord, we pray because of what Jesus did at Calvary and shed his blood for us that you will forgive us our sins as a people and we may come together in unity and that we may finish this work that you've asked us, us to do and we may hasten his return. Lord, I thank you for hearing this prayer for I do pray it in the name of Jesus who is worthy. Amen. It is a wonderful day. Let me tell you something. Any day with the Lord is a wonderful day. Amen? I've entitled this study, Do Not Be Afraid. Let's think a a moment about fear, being afraid. It's dark out, let's say. And you're home alone. Have you ever been in that situation before? The house is quiet, but you hear it and you see it at the same time. The front door is suddenly thrown open. Your breathing speeds up. Your heart races. Your muscles tighten. A split second later, you know it's the wind. No one's trying to get into your home. But for a split second, you were so afraid that you reacted as if your life was in danger. Have you ever had that experience? Or something similar to that? For a split second, you thought, boy, I'm in danger. Somebody's coming in to do something to me, to harm me. But really, there was no danger at all. What happened to cause such an intense reaction? It's a four-letter word. That word is fear. Fear is a chain reaction in the brain that starts with a, a stressful stimulus and ends with the release of chemicals that cause a racing heart, a, a fast breathing, energized muscles you know, through adrenaline, among other things. The stimulus could be physical things, let's say like snakes or spiders or heights. With me, small spaces. (laughs) The unknown can bring fear. An auditorium full of people waiting for you to speak (laughs) can bring fear. Or the sudden thud of your front door against the door frame, like I said. But there are also spiritual things like censure or reproof or rebuke 
Isn't that true? What about the fear of not measuring up to standards? Uh, Not pleasing your parents, maybe. There are lots of things that frighten us, and each person actually has different things. Let me ask you this. Are you aware that your fear can be taken away? Psychologists will tell you that by facing your fear, you can overcome it. And some people have done just that. But it may just be that their fear has been transferred and not really removed. It's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. There has to be a change, beloved. There has to be a change in our mind and heart before our fears can be completely overcome. Now, there are some things, and I'll touch on this in a few moments, there are some fears that are necessary. I mean, if we didn't have any fear at all, well, we'd be walking out in traffic or walking off cliffs or, you know, diving into the ocean, not knowing how to swim. You know what I'm saying? But there needs to be a change if we want to overcome those evil fears. Let's put it that way. And we cannot change ourselves. The change must come from outside of us. Many people have tried to change themselves, and this is what psychologists are trying to do. They say you've got to face your fear. You can change yourself. Like I said, some people have the wherewithal, the strong will to be able to do that, but the vast majority of people don't. They won't even, they can't even contemplate facing their fear. The change must come from outside of us. The good news is that it's possible. That there is something outside of us that can change us. But we can't change ourselves. Jeremiah 13 and verse 23. We're familiar with this. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil? Can you really change yourself? Now, like I said, now some people can make changes in their life just through willpower. But we're talking about fear here. And every one of us has a fear. Being afraid originated with Satan. And he brought it to the Garden of Eden, this fear. In Genesis 3, verses 9 and 10, we read, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? This is right after the fall. You remember? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. He'd never been afraid before. He had a perfect peace before sin. But he said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. When you lose that righteousness that comes from God, there is a fear that comes with it. It enters in. And it started there. But I find it comforting, even at the beginning here, right after the fall, I find it extremely comforting to know that God seeks after us. 
And He tries to comfort us. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus says this to us. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. You know, face your fears and you can overcome them. That's the world's way. Jesus says, I give you my peace. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. And what's he say? Neither let it be what? Afraid. Do not be afraid, Jesus is saying. And throughout the Gospels, in different situations, and in the book of Revelation, you'll find many places where Jesus comforts us. He says, It is I, be not afraid. Remember when He was, the, the, the disciples are out on a boat and they see Jesus walking on the water. You remember that? And they think it's a spirit and they're frightened. So there they are. They, they had fear, didn't they? Fear, who knows, of ghosts or demons or whatever, see? And what is it Jesus says? He says, it's I. Be not afraid. Isn't that comforting? You can be in fear and Jesus can give you His peace. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. It is Satan that tries to instill fear into our hearts. The kind of fear that grips the soul from performing right actions. Fear is one of the strongest emotions we experience here on this earth. It's a very powerful emotion. But there is a time coming very soon when there will be no more fear at all. In Isaiah 51 verse 22, the Bible says, Thus saith thy Lord, the Lord, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of His people, Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again. There will be perfect peace. Fear will be done away with. A fear like other emotions can have a good effect, like I mentioned earlier. It can have an evil one, causing a person to lose their soul, to lose their eternal life. The good effect of fear is the fear of God. That's the good effect at the foundation, if you will get to that. In Revelation 14 and verse 7, remember the first angel's message, that first part of the first angel's message says, fear God and give glory to Him. We're living in a generation where there is little fear of God. But we should be afraid to disobey Him or to do anything that is in any way displeasing to Him. There really is nothing wrong with this kind of fear. Fearing God has to do more with reverence and awe and respect and with the realization that He is holy. He has a holy character. Let me share this with you. It's from a Signs of the Times article entitled, Blessing of Obedience. 
There's a blessing to obedience. That's the title of this article, September 22nd, 1898. In this article, it says, This sanctified fear is entirely proper. You catch that? It's a sanctified fear. It's a holy fear. This fear, as I was given the example of the first angel's message, fear God and give glory to Him. This is a sanctified, holy fear. And it's proper, she says. It is not a servile, cowardly fear. It is a dread to do anything that Christ will not approve. This fear regulates the Christian experience. Those who feel it sanctify the Lord in their hearts. They regard God with a reverence and love that leads to self-abasement. In other words, putting self away, not wanting anything to do with selfishness. But their fear is very different from the terror of a slave who lives in expectation of the lash. This genuine fear leads to firm reliance on God. So this is a, a sanctified fear that's spoken of here in the first angel's message. It has more, like I said, to do with reverence and awe and respect and obedience. And that leads to, as she says, a firm reliance on God. But there's another kind of fear that is not holy or healthy in its effect. In fact, it is very detrimental and it has caused millions of people to lose their soul, to lose eternal life. I'll give you an example. This is the type of fear that was experienced by the parents of the man Jesus cured of blindness. You remember that? If you take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9. We'll read about this. John 9, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. So you see, Right here, the Pharisees, they're in a real dilemma. They're in a dilemma. Here they've been against Jesus this whole time. Here comes a guy who professes that he had been blind and that Jesus healed him and it was on the Sabbath day. And he said, well, he can't be of God because you're not allowed to do such things on the Sabbath day. And they're saying, well, how can a sinner perform such miracles as this? So then they begin to question the man. And they don't believe the man. They're determined not to accept the evidence before them, so they called the parents of the man. Let's get to the heart of this. We'll call 
the parents of this this man together. Look at verse 19. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now, now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. We know that. We attest to that. We are his parents. We can testify to that. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. Now, if you stopped right there, you'd think, well, that's pretty reasonable of these parents, isn't it? Sounds like they told the truth. You know. And they did tell part of the truth. But they didn't tell all the truth. In fact, they bore a false witness here. Look at verse 22. These words spake his parents because they what? They feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, that Jesus here was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. You know, one of the things, and and you parents can relate, all parents I think can relate to this, one of the things that parents do when they have a baby is to look for its healthy development as it grows. Isn't that true? They make sure, you know, when, when my first son was born, I mean, and, and I've heard people say it this way, you, you count their fingers and you count their toes. You want to make sure they have, you know, ten fingers and ten toes. And you, you know, and this is normal. This is, this is okay. This is right. And this is what parents do. They look for the healthy development as it grows. They make sure it can see and it can hear and, and walk and talk. Now imagine how you would feel if you watched your infant son, let's say, day after day and realized that he couldn't see. You took him to the most skillful physician and he told you that there was nothing he could do for him. Can you imagine the heartbreaking realization that your son was blind and would never see? Now, suppose that this son suddenly received his sight and somebody asked you, what happened? Can you imagine yourself saying, I don't know, when you knew very well how he received his sight? The parents of this man here we're reading about in John chapter 9, they knew how their their son received his sight. He was going, you know, that that was a testimony, a miracle that was going like a whirlwind all over town. But the problem was, you see, friends, they were in such bondage to fear that they lied about it. They lied. The Bible tells us the people who lie will be on will not be on the inside of the city of God, the New Jerusalem. And another time, it says that they will all be on the outside. It says that they'll all burn up. They'll become ashes. Another time, the Bible says no one will enter into the city that's a liar. There are many places where we can read this in God's Word. God wanted to be sure that no one 
would be mistaken on that point. These parents of this man were in such fear of being put out of the synagogue, that is, disfellowshipped from the church, that they were willing to jeopardize their eternal life. And there are many today who listen to and believe the truth in secret because they don't want people that they work with or or the people that they go to church with to find out about it. You know, the Internet is such a trap in this regard. People can have all the aliases that they want on, you know, let's say on all these social networks on any of them. They can have them on one, on all of them. Any of them they want. And they think they can keep such secrets from their family or from their employer or from their church. And maybe they can for a while. But it won't last. All secrets will be revealed someday. And if not here, then before the judgment seat of God. You know, there were people who have applied for jobs and one of the criterion that the employer does is look for their Facebook page or look for their MySpace. Or look, and there are people who have lost jobs because of what they have posted. And I say that the Internet, that there are many traps, but I think Satan uses the Internet in certain ways. We've got to be careful as Christians to be truthful in all things. It's such an enticement, such a temptation possibly to have that alias and to do whatever you want on there and not think that anybody knows. Well, if nobody here on this earth knows, God knows. And it can keep you out of the kingdom. If you bear false witness, that's breaking the commandments, isn't it? And here, the reason that a lot of people do this is because they have a fear of people knowing the truth about them. And here these parents, they had a fear that if they told the truth about how their son was healed and who did it, their fear was that they would be removed from the church. What does that tell you about their understanding of who the church is? Wherever Jesus is, wherever He abides, there is His church. They were already denying that they were members of the church. See how Satan works? Black is white, white is black. Well, what happens when a person has such a fear? Did these parents confess Christ? No. Can you be saved if you don't confess Christ? No. Have you ever met an Adventist or a Christian? I'll say Adventist. Have you ever met an Adventist who was afraid of being disfellowshipped? Afraid to stand up for the truth or fear of being disfellowshipped? Afraid of speaking out against the sins and the wrongs within the church because of a fear of being disfellowshipped? I have many times. Too many times, actually. And I bring this up because I want you to see how serious this really is. Beloved, 
In John chapter 12, verse 42, we read, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him, this is Jesus, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You catch that? You may think, oh, I'm not going to speak up to this, you know, but but I, I really believe this truth. I believe that this is... And, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak up. You actually... You actually... love the praise of men more than you love the praise of God. Think about it. Verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. At this time back then when this was going on, and we see it being repeated today in a very large degree. There are people being disfellowshipped from churches all over the world, friends, because they're standing up for the truth. But there's also a majority that won't stand up when they know the truth. But here, in this case here, we're not talking about some phenomenon that just affected a handful of people. There were thousands of people in this same situation. Even some of the people who were eventually saved lost a great deal because of their fear. Let me give you an example. Joseph of Arimathea. He was one of those people. He was a disciple of Jesus. Did you know that? Well, you didn't until Jesus died. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but nobody knew it. Because he was afraid of the Jews and he's a leader of the Jews. In John chapter 19 and verse 38, just the first part. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, this is after Jesus died, he goes to Pilate. And it says, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. And as a result, he never got to associate with Jesus during the time of Jesus' ministry. During all the rest of his life, he had to remember that when the majesty of heaven was here, and he could have been with him just like the rest of the disciples, he missed out on that because of his fear. Some people said to me, and I've heard it, Oh, in the Adventist conference, you know, there are people like Joseph of Arimathaeus. There are Nicodemuses. I had uh, uh, Colin Standish and, and Ron Spear said that to me one time on a walk. Oh, we're hanging in there because there, there may be a Nicodemus in there. There may be a Joseph of Arimathea in there. Yes. There are thousands of Seventh-day Adventists in that situation. They're afraid to stand up and do what they know is right because of fear. And if they don't stand up, eventually Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea did stand up. They lost a great deal in their experience with Christ if they would have stood up while He was alive. But they eventually did stand up. But if you don't stand up for the truth before the end, 
you're going to miss out. Isn't that what happened in Sister Wright's day? God went to one person and he rejected and so he chose one. Hmm. One of these days, the latter rain, the loud cry is going to come. But God is not going to allow anyone to participate in the latter rain and the loud cry who's afraid to stand up for the truth. God may snatch some of them out of the fires. Jesus saved the thief on the cross there at the 11th hour. But they're missing out on the grandest opportunity that Adventists have ever had. Because we're standing in a position right now where if we will stand up for the truth, God will use us to finish His work. And let me tell you something, in case you haven't recognized it, you cannot be saved without being involved in God's work. (laughs) If fear is keeping you from being vitally involved in the Lord's work, you must get over that fear or you're going to be lost. Revelation 21, there's a list of people who are going to experience the second death. There's a list. And the first to be mentioned are the fearful. Did you know that? The very first thing on the list. It means cowardly. A coward is a person who's full of fear. The church leaders of Jesus' time, they were always fearful for many different things, but they were afraid of the Roman power. That was like number one in their list of fears. John 11, verse 47, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? Or what do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Who are they afraid of here? The Romans. Is there anybody in Adventism today who's afraid of the Roman power? Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is. Some are so scared they see a Jesuit around every corner. It's rather ridiculous. Some are so scared they don't even want us to hand out the great controversy. They're afraid to tell the truth. Now, while we want to be loving and kind whatever we do, we want to tell the truth. And I'll tell you this, it's not loving to do otherwise. Oh, the world will tell you it is. They'll call it, and they've call it, they call it hate speech. And they, you can be arrested and thrown in prison because of hate speech. The truth is the truth. The truth is Jesus, and it's a mixture of love and mercy, and that's how we're to share the truth. The world is rapidly going to destruction, beloved. Can we sit by and watch people be destroyed and say nothing and yet profess that we love them?
What happened? Let me ask you this. What happened to the people in Christ's time who were afraid of the Roman power? What happened to them? Did you know that the same people who were afraid of the Roman power then were destroyed by it? I mean, don't think that if you decide you're not going to say anything that you're going to be saved when the trouble comes because just like the people of Christ's time, you'll be destroyed. Let me share this with you. It's a Review and Herald article entitled Seek First the Kingdom of God, February 7, 1893. This article says, We need divine wisdom and skill that we may improve every opportunity that the providence of God shall prepare for the presentation of truth. While Satan will make masterly efforts to suppress truth, we must stand firm to our principles, reflecting light to the world. We should be alarmed. Get this. We should be alarmed at the least manifestation of a disposition to hush the voices that proclaim the third angel's message. And what did the General Conference do in a courtroom in the year 2000? They said that's not the mission of the Adventist movement. The three angels' messages, that's not our message. And here she says, we should be alarmed at the least manifestation of a disposition to hush the voices that proclaim the third angel's message. That angel represents the people of God who give the last warning to the world. Let not the fear of man, the desire for patronage, be allowed to obscure a ray of heaven's light. Should the sentinels of truth now fail to sound the warning, they would be unworthy of their position as light bearers to the world. Powerful statements here. What is the solution to overcoming this universal human emotion that is so powerful and that the devil has used so successfully? What is the solution to fear? Well, the the solution is knowing, believing, and trusting that God is with you and will keep you. Our scripture reading for today lays that out. That's the promise of God. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear thou not. Right off the bat. Fear thou not. Do not be afraid, for I am with thee. If God's not with you, you will be afraid, friends. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. My power of strength. That's the solution. Do we believe what God says or do we not? 
Are we learning to trust Him more and more each day? Or are we letting fear dictate our choices? Notice what Jesus said about fear. As He was sending His disciples out to preach, it's found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, Fear them not, therefore... He says, Fear them not. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. It goes back to, you think you can do things in secret? It's going to be laid open, friends. Now's the time to be righteous with the Lord. To be truthful in all things. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows us that intimately, friends. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows doesn't mean the sparrows aren't valuable. It just means we are more valuable in God's eyes. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, when they have an opportunity to speak up, when they have an opportunity to share the truth, yes, my son was healed by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The Messiah. When you do that, Jesus professes and confesses your name before His Father. But if you deny Him, like that parents did, oh, we don't know how He was healed. Jesus says, Will I also deny Him? Will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven? Depart from me, I never knew you. Know what Jesus said? you worker of iniquity. So friends, when God is with you, you do not need to be afraid of anything. Our problem is in developing enough faith to believe that. You'll never conquer fear unless you have enough faith to believe these Scriptures, to believe these promises. Learning to have a perfect faith and trust in God is absolutely essential. It's essential to our preparation in the time of trouble, which is right ahead of us. Now is our opportunity to learn and trust God with everything. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing. This is what you're hearing today, see? You're hearing scriptures. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is the medium through which faith comes. If you want to have faith, You need to read. You need to study. You need to memorize the Word of God. You know, there are many read-the-Bible-in-a-year schedules that you, you can find that can help you and get you started. Read it every day. Take the Scripture reading. Here's, here's something. Take the Scripture reading that we have each Sabbath and memorize that during the week until the new one the following week. Memorize this week, Isaiah 41.10. Beautiful Scripture to have memorized. 
if you have a, you know, for the young people who are so technical, tech gadget, you know, smartphones, all that good stuff. If you have a, you know, an MP3 player or smartphone, then get an audio Bible. Listen to it while traveling or when you're going for a walk. Fill your mind with God's Word more than the voice of the world. That's one of the things that you can do. The second thing that you must do if you want to have a stronger faith is to have an active prayer life. Jesus said that the kind of faith that moves mountains is not obtained except by prayer and fasting. I brought this out before, not that long ago. Matthew 17, verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because, you're, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Do we believe that? Howbeit this kind goeth out not by, by prayer, but by prayer and fasting. And that was casting out. Sometimes in order for obstacles to be overcome, we have to fast and we have to pray. We're headed into a time when the whole world is going to be gripped in fear such as they cannot imagine. You think things are bad now, it's nothing. These are just groanings that we see today. Notice what Isaiah 24 says. Verse 17. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon thee, O inhabitant of the earth. And it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth do shake. That's what's ahead of us, friends. One of the other prophets, you can read about it in Amos. He said this fear is like running from a lion and then meeting a bear. Then when you get away from the bear and you run into your house and you lean on the wall, a serpent bites you. When that time comes, there is going to be no release from the terror. That's what's being said. You cannot get away from it. The fear is going to get worse and worse until Jesus comes. Men's hearts failing them for what? Fear. This was one of the signs of the last days. Revelation 6 says that every free man, every bondman or slave, and all the captains, the kings, the mighty men, all of them ran and hid in the rocks and the mountains and asked, they asked for the mountains to fall on them. This fear is going to dictate their actions. They're going to, it's going to come on the people of this world and they're going to be so fearful that they're going to look up to the mountains and cry, please just bury us alive. There's going to be some fear for God's people too. Revelation 6 verse 17 says, For the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? 
that who encapsulates everybody. Jeremiah 30, verse 5, For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. And there's the difference. The wicked are crying for the rocks and the mountains to fall and bury them alive, and the righteous, they stand. They go through these things, but they stand. Friends, the little tests and trials that God allows to come to you and me now are to get us ready for that time. Our troubles don't just spring up out of the ground. <laughs> you know, God has a purpose. He's preparing you for what's coming. One of the wonderful things about being a Christian is that God sees in the future what is going to happen to you. And by the things He allows to come to you now, He is preparing you for what is going to happen in the future. <laughs> if you postpone giving your life to Christ, He will have less time to get you ready. He'll have to put you through a crash course, giving you a lot of trouble in a shorter period of time. And as soon as you realize that you're in a position that you can do nothing for yourself, God can start to work for you in your life. And that's where we've got to get to. You know, as I've studied the great controversy, I've been impressed that the time of trouble is not going to be as bad for some people as for others. The reason for this is that there will be some people at the beginning of the trouble who will have already developed a mature faith and have perfect trust in the Lord. There will be others, however, who even if they do endure the test, will have to learn the lesson of faith under the terrible weight of discouragement. And that's, that's hard. God doesn't want it that way. But He'll do whatever He can to save you. But you know, when you, when you have a discouragement, it becomes more difficult for you to finish the race. Have you seen God at work in your life lately? Have you given Him permission to, to allow you to have some trials so that you can learn to trust Him? You know, we, the selfish heart, we're... We're, you know, most all of us, I say humans, we're like electricity. We like to go the path of least resistance all the time. But that's not always the best for us. We need to trust God and follow the path He has laid out for us. Have you given God permission to allow you to have these trials and you learn to trust Him? Or are you just trying to take care of yourself and build so much security that you don't need to depend upon God? 
As we see God helping us in the little trials and tribulations that we have along the way, our faith grows. It strengthens. And this is something very serious to think about, especially for you young people, but for everybody. Let me share this with you. It's from Christ's Object Lessons, page 173. If we surrender our lives to His service, notice this, we can never be placed in a position for which God has not made provision. That's powerful. If we surrender our lives to His service, we can never be placed in a position for which God has not made provision. Whatever may be our situation, we have a guide to direct our way. Whatever our perplexities, we have a sure counselor. Whatever our sorrow, bereavement, or loneliness, we have a sympathizing friend. If in our ignorance we make missteps, Christ does not leave us. His voice, clear and distinct, is heard saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and in that hath no help. Isn't that encouraging? Our Lord is equal to any emergency. If you're called to go through a fiery furnace for uh, Christ's sake, He'll be with you just as He was with the, the three Hebrew worthies. From Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, page 17. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. Let me read that again. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. And get this. God would send every angel in heaven to aid to the aid of such a one rather than allow him to be overcome. Every angel in heaven. God would rather send every angel in heaven, billions of angels, every angel in heaven to come to the aid of Andrea rather than to allow her to be overcome. Doesn't that make an impression? Does that not tell you something about God? Christ never forsakes one of His followers in combat. In this great controversy. Exercising faith brings us the power of omnipotence, friends. Do we believe it? There's something else that will deliver you from fear as I close up. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4, verse 15 to 19. Perfect love casteth out fear. Friends, in our experience with the Lord, as we, we dwell with Him more, by beholding Him, we become changed. If we behold Him, the longer we behold Him, the more changed we become. That happens to us. We're changed more and more into His image. We experience His love, and we learn how to love as He loves. And as that happens, fear gets expelled from us. Not the sanctified holy fear, but the fear that the devil tries to bring. If you've had enough of fear and torment in your life and you want perfect faith so that you can have the victory over sin, I invite you, friends, to fully commit yourself to the Lord just now. Ask Him to work in your life to help you to develop that true faith in Him. And when you have this faith, and it is perfected, you will lose all your fear. You'll be to a point that you would rather die than sin against your Savior. If this is your wish, I invite you to pray with me now. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for your love for Your promises, for promising to always be there for us, to be our strength, to be our protector, to be our guide, to be our teacher. We are so thankful that You are our Savior, our Redeemer and our friend. Father, we have many fears in our hearts. It shows that we have not perfected love, that we have kept you out, that we have something that we hold on to that that keeps us separated from you. Father, reveal those things to us. Encourage us and give us strength to put them away, to overcome these things, to cast that fear out of our hearts so that we may have that perfect love and we may make right decisions always. Lord, we thank You for the promise that You will do this if we are willing. And Father, those who hear my voice and see me are willing. Touch their hearts. Change our hearts. And may we be ready for Your return. We thank You so much, Lord, for the Sabbath day. It is the heart of Your character. It is the heart of the commandments. May we keep it holy. May we have that sanctified fear always. Lord, bless us this day as You've promised and in the coming days ahead to be the overcomers You wish us to be and to be a united people upon the foundation of truth and to keep our eyes lifted upward. We pray this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.